You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. Hi, I'm Johanna from Austria, and you're listening to your favorite international podcast. As you can hear, I'm all alone today. Annie is still in Ireland, but don't worry. She will be back with us for next week's episode. I'm also very sorry that we didn't announce this three-week break. The plan was actually to record and drop an episode as scheduled three weeks ago and to let you know that we're taking a two-week break. But life happened and it just wasn't possible to schedule anything. If you're on social media, you already know pretty much what was going on. If not, Annie will tell you when she's back next week. Also, I apologize if there's any noise in the background or if I sound different than usually. My setup is a little bit uh, chaotic this time because there's heavy construction going on upstairs. Also, one more thing. Spooky Fuckery Month starts in a couple of days. And as always, we want to do a special Halloween episode with your stories. All the scary, spooky, interesting, paranormal things you experienced. Have you encountered cryptides or aliens? Please let us know, write to us. Our email address is freshhellpodcast at gmail.com. We received a message for our Halloween episode a couple of days ago and I majorly fucked up. I wanted to mark the message as important and I don't know how I did it, but I deleted it permanently. So please be so kind to send us the message about your roommate again. Thank you so much in advance and I'm so sorry. All right, today I want to talk to you about an Austrian case. We didn't have one of those in quite a while. And today I want to tell you about the horrific murder of Ilona Faber that happened in Vienna on 14th of April, 1958. This case is still unsolved. So for those of you who are not into cold cases, you might want to skip this one. And also, quick warning, I will be talking about sexual assault. If you visit Vienna, you will most definitely stroll around the inner city, the so-called First District. And you might find yourself walking near Schwarzenbergplatz. It's one of the most prominent squares in Vienna and it's where three districts, so the inner city, which is the first, Landstrasse, which is the third, and Wieden, which is the fourth district, meet. Actually, in my opinion, it's not a typical square, it's more like a wide open street than a square. However, the square is named after Karl Philipp Fürst zu Schwarzenberg, whose statue can be found there. It's a large equestrian statue erected in the 1860s. Field Marshal Karl Schwarzenberg was a prominent military commander during the Napoleonic Wars and played a significant role in the so-called Battle of the Nations in Leipzig. In German, we call it the Völkerschlacht von Leipzig and also in the Congress of Vienna that took place between 1814 and 1815. You'll also find the French Embassy at Schwarzenbergplatz. It's a beautiful Art Nouveau building, as well as the Palais Schwarzenberg. From a distance, it might be hard to see the Palais Schwarzenberg, because in 1873, the so-called Hochstrahlbrunnen, a high-jet fountain, was erected to commemorate and to celebrate the completion of the first Vienna mountain spring pipeline, which brought fresh alpine spring water to Vienna. Side note, the water in Vienna is really of extremely high quality. It is sourced from the Schneeberg, 
And so the Hochstrahlbrunnen represents the achievement of a reliable and clean water supply for the city. We talked so many times already how much of an impact the lack of clean water supply had on European cities in the 19th century, so this was indeed quite an accomplishment. The central feature of the fountain is a large column of water that reaches a considerable height. The water shoots upwards and then falls in a cascading pattern. At the edge of the basin, there are 365 small fountains symbolizing the days of the year. The six fountains between the basin's edge and the inner island, along with the island itself, correspond to the seven days of the week. 12 high jets symbolize the month, 24 low jets represent the hours of the day, and the 30 jets in the middle island represent the days of the month. The original nozzle arrangement from 1873 consisted of a high jet for the year, four jets in the inner stone island for the seasons, and 365 jets for the days in the year. There are also some sculptural elements and basins surrounding the central column. The fountain is illuminated in the evenings, adding to its visual appeal. The combination of water and light is definitely worth seeing, but be aware, the fountain operates seasonally, typically from April to October, depending on the weather conditions. While the Hochstrahlbrunnen is definitely the most prominent and most famous feature of the Schwarzenbergplatz, or the Schwarzenberg Square, there's one other monument right next to it. The Heroes Monument of the Red Army, or Soviet War Memorial. In German, it's officially called Heldendenkmal der Roten Armee, but most people simply call it the Russendenkmal, so the Russian monument. How come? Well, in March and April of 1945, so during the final weeks of World War II in Europe, the so-called Vienna Offensive took place. Soviet forces, specifically the second and third Ukrainian front, launched an offensive to capture the Austrian capital, Vienna. The offensive was part of the broader Soviet advance into Central Europe to defeat Nazi Germany. The Soviet Red Army, under the command of Marshal Rodion Malinovsky, conducted the offensive, and the opposing forces were primarily remnants of German and Axis troops, including some Austrian units. The main objective of the Soviet offensive was to capture Vienna, the capital of Austria, and further advance into the heart of Germany. Vienna was considered a strategic target due to its symbolic and historical significance. The battle for Vienna involved intense and fierce fighting in the late stage of the offensive, even in the streets of Vienna, with both sides suffering significant casualties. The Soviet forces achieved victory in the Vienna offensive. On 13th of April 1945, Soviet troops entered Vienna, marking the end of Nazi rule in the city. The capture of Vienna was a significant step in the overall defeat of Nazi Germany. Less than a month later, on 8th of May 1945, Germany officially surrendered, leading to the end of World War II in Europe. After the war, Austria was initially occupied by the Allied forces, so that Soviet Union, France, Great Britain and the US, and Vienna, like Berlin, was divided into occupation zones controlled by the Allies. Actually, all of Austria was divided into different occupation zones and you needed permits and papers to travel from one Austrian state to another. But I think I talked about all this before. Okay, so to commemorate the victory, the Soviet leaders decided that they wanted to build a monument right in the heart of Vienna. Well, almost in the heart of Vienna. What is very interesting though, the plan to build this monument was hatched in February of 1945, so before the Vienna Offensive even had started. 
And they had already made a model of what the monument should look like before the Soviet army had even reached Austria. There was like a contest started among the Russian soldiers to create a model for the planned monument. Soldiers who were sculptors or had talent in drawing worked on the model while their companies were moving closer and closer to Vienna. Since there was no clay available for this work conducted during the campaign, some used breadcrumbs to build the model around an empty bottle. The finished memorial was unveiled on 19th of August 1945, so very shortly after the end of World War II, they were wasting no time at all. The memorial consists of a large, imposing Soviet soldier standing atop a massive stone pedestal. He's often referred to as the Liberator Soldier, and he's holding a Soviet flag and a Vienna city banner. The symbolism represents the role of the Red Army in liberating Vienna from Nazi occupation, and the memorial bears inscription in both Russian and German. One of the inscriptions in Russian translates to, quote, Eternal glory to the heroes of the Red Army who fell in battle against the German fascist invaders for the freedom and independence of the people of Europe. End quote. There's also another way longer Russian inscription that roughly translates to quote, Decree of the Supreme Commander to the Commander of the Forces of the Third Ukrainian Formation, Marshal of the Soviet Union, Tolpukin to the Chief of Staff of the Formation, Lieutenant General Ivanov. The troops of the 3rd Ukrainian Formation, supported by the 2nd Ukrainian Formation, after persistent fighting today on April 13th, captured the Austrian capital Vienna, a strategically important hub for German defenses on the way to the southern regions of Germany. During the battles for the approach to Vienna and the city itself from March 16th to April 13th, the frontline troops defeated 11 German tank divisions, including the 6th SS Panzer Army, captured more than 130,000 enemy soldiers and officers, destroyed and seized 1,345 tanks and self-propelled weapons, 2,250 field guns and many other military equipment. Today, on April 13th at 9pm, the capital of our homeland, Moscow, salutes the brave troops of the 3rd Ukrainian Front on behalf of the Fatherland who have conquered the city of Vienna with 24 artillery selves from 324 cannons. For the military actions, I express my gratitude to the troops led by you who participated in the battles for the liberation of Vienna. Eternal glory to the heroes who fell in the battles for the freedom and independence of our homeland. Death to the German invaders. End quote. Of course, ever since the unveiling up to this day, actually, there's always been a bit of a controversy surrounding this monument. During the Allied occupation, the monument was guarded by Soviet soldiers. And after the Allied forces left, the monument was guarded by Austrian police. Especially in the beginning, there was always police around to guard the monument. And today it still is from time to time, as there's been acts of vandalism now and then. The reason why I told you so much about the Russian monument is because it became infamous for being the scene of crime for one of the most shocking murders in the Second Republic. The Second Austrian Republic started with the end of World War II and continues to this day. In the early morning hours of Tuesday, 15th of April 1958, a young police officer was on guard duty at the monument. He was walking around the colonnade, probably bored, because what is there to do at the time of day? And I'm sure he was hoping that his shift would end soon enough. He wouldn't be so lucky. 
because he soon made a gruesome discovery. But the first thing he found was not gruesome at all. It was an umbrella, described as a woman's umbrella. And yes, I can see how back in the 50s, certain colors or decors would pretty much indicate if the owner was a man or a woman. I don't know if he thought anything of it or if he thought that someone just lost their umbrella. I wonder if he took it and put it on a place that's easily visible in case the owner would come back looking for it. Fun fact, in Vienna and most other places in Austria, it's customary to pick up lost umbrellas or gloves or hats and hang them on a fence or a tree so that the owner will easily see it in case they come back. Of course, you can also take the found items to the lost and found. That's how I got my passport back one time. I was very lucky. Anyway, the police officer kept walking, circling behind the columns that form a half circle behind the statue, entering the little park behind the monument. There's some flowers and trees and some shrubs there. Not really dense, more like a little park. And there, he saw that something was half buried in the ground. He took a closer look and it was woman's clothing that someone had tried to hide there hastily. Weird, right? Well, the police officer thought so as well and he kept looking around and what he found made his worst fears come true. There, sticking out of the ground, he saw something round which, upon further inspection, proved to be the head of a young woman. Because there, behind the third column from the right, was the completely naked body of a young woman, buried in the ground, only her head sticking out. The victim was quickly identified as Helene Faber, but she went by the name of Ilona. She was only 21 years old and currently enrolled in a school for modeling. Her father, Dr. Ludwig Faber, was an undersecretary in the Ministry of Commerce. Ilona was still living at home with her parents at the time of her death and was last seen at home on Monday, 14th of April. The examination of the body showed that Ilona had been attacked, raped and strangled to death. The body also showed bite marks. It's also possible that she was still alive when she was mostly buried. And at first the police thought that she had been attacked and murdered someplace else and then the murderer must have transported her to Schwarzenbergplatz by car to bury her quickly in the still of the night. Because even though Vienna is definitely not like most other metropolises, Vienna is a city that definitely sleeps at night and you can walk down most of the streets during night without encountering a single person. But this is a square in the inner district where several big streets meet, so there's almost always traffic or someone passing by. And also, as I said, there's always a police officer on duty, on guard duty back in the day. The thought of a woman being attacked, raped, murdered and buried made absolutely no sense to the investigators. But once they talked to Ilona's family and friends, they realized that this highly unthinkable thing must have actually been what had happened. In the evening of 14th of April, Ilona decided to visit a movie theater on Schwarzenbergplatz 3, the so-called Schwarzenberg Kino. This movie theater existed from 1916 to 2013 at the same address and it was renamed to Stadtkino in 1981. In 2013, it was moved to another location. But as I said, back in 1958, it was located in Schwarzenbergplatz number 3. And on the evening of 14th of April 1958, they were showing the Elvis Presley movie Loving You from 1957, which was his second movie after Love Me Tender. The most famous song in Loving You is Let Me Be Your Teddy Bear. Fun fact, the German title of Loving You is Gold aus heißen Kehlen, which translates literally to gold out of hot throats. 
After the movie, we can assume that Ilona wanted to walk home to her family's apartment in Momsengasse. It would have been a short walk, just 20 minutes, and I'm sure she walked there very often. She just had to walk past the monument and down the Prinzorgenstrasse, past the Belvedere Castle, where today you can visit the permanent Gustav Klimt exhibition. And she would be almost home. But she never made it home that night. Because when she was walking past the Soviet war memorial, someone attacked and murdered Ilona Faber, and then he tried to hide her body. Of course, after the body of Ilona had been discovered, the crime scene was swarmed with investigators, police cars and press. And this attracted, of course, the looky-loos, who wanted to see what was going on. Now, what I haven't told you until now is that as soon as Ilona's body had been found and police officers started to arrive, they discovered a man in the bushes, apparently trying to slip away from the police unnoticed. That's immediately suspicious, of course. According to some sources, the man was wearing rubber boots covered in soil, which is immediately more suspicious. The man was arrested and questioned by the police. His name was Johann G. As so often in crime cases from Austria from that time, we are not supposed to use the full last name. The man was 30 years old, unemployed and without a permanent place of residence. He had been arrested several times before and had five previous convictions uh, for petty crime like theft, once for attempted robbery and another time for Unzucht wider die Natur, which roughly translates to unnatural fornication, which is old-time lingo for homosexual intercourse. Homosexuality was illegal in Austria until 1971. When questioned why he was hiding around there in the bushes, Johann G. said that he was waiting for a man he had a rendezvous with. Makes sense that he would be hiding from the police then. The police also found a bag with either bricklayer or locksmith tools, depending which sources you trust, but I think locksmith makes a little bit more sense. Uh, the bag was hidden in a tree and Johann G. said that this was his bag and that he had just hid it there so that he wouldn't have to carry it around during his date with the unknown man. Johann's footprints were indeed found next to the tree where the bag had been hidden, but there was some speculation that they also found his footprints close to the spot where the body had been buried. Of course, Johann denied having anything to do with the murder. He had no idea that there had been a body hidden close by. Ultimately, he was let go, at least for now. Over the next days, several people contacted the police reporting items they had found in the streets. Ilona's earring, Ilona's stockings and her gloves were strewn in the streets leading to Naschmarkt, almost like the breadcrumbs in Hänsel and Gretel. The media reported every new finding, every person who found one of the items was photographed and the picture printed with their name and age. Every new theory, like for example Ilona was leading a secret double life that her family didn't know of, probably insinuating that she had worked as a sex worker, because, you know, blaming the victims has always been a thing. So every new theory was published and discussed all over Austria. And for the first time in Austrian history, the TV news program reported heavily on a murder. The banned bulletin from Oregon printed the following on 17th of April 1958, which was a Thursday on page 11. Quote, Television used in crime hunt. Vienna. Television was used Wednesday night to help track down a murderer for the first time in the annals of Austrian crime. 
The Austrian TV network appealed to its viewers to help in the search for witnesses in the slaying of Ilona Faber, a pretty 21-year-old model whose nude body was found buried in a flower bed near the downtown Soviet war memorial. Pictures of the dead girl were flashed on the TV screen. End quote. Reward money of 70,000 shilling that would have been 2,700 US dollars and today that would be 28,000 euros was offered to anyone who could come forward with a tip that would lead to the arrest of Ilona's murderer. Of course, Ilona's murder evoked such heavy reactions for several reasons. The location of the murder in the inner city behind a monument that was guarded 24-7 at the time, the fact that she was young and beautiful, and of course, because she was the daughter of a high-ranking politician. The Minister of Commerce at the time, Fritz Bock, advocated for a reintroduction of the death penalty in Austria because of Ilona Faber's murder. And even though the investigators followed every possible lead, even though such a high reward was offered, no other suspect could be found. And so the very first suspect, Johann G., was officially charged with the murder of Ilona Faber and the trial started in June of 1959. And it would become one of the biggest trials based on circumstantial evidence in the still very young Second Austrian Republic. Now you might ask, why did the police let Johann G. go after they had initially arrested the man? Well, first of all, because he was a registered homosexual. As I told you before, he had one prior conviction, at least one prior conviction. And apparently back in those days, they didn't really think about the possibility of bisexuality or the possibility that Johann was a sex worker who had intercourse with men for money without being gay himself. Everything was just black or white in a way, back in the day. And of course, there was no profiling and no DNA testing. There was also another reason uh, why they let Johann Chi go, one that was even mentioned during the trial according to a newspaper article. Shortly after the murder, investigators had received a tip. There was talk about a luxury apartment in the Prinz Eugenstraße, not far from Ilona's home and also not far from the Soviet monument. This apartment, so the rumors, was used by high-ranking politicians, nobility and rich industrialites for orgies with beautiful young women. And neighbors had reported that they had heard screams coming from that apartment on the day of Ilona's murder. Was it possible that Ilona Faber had somehow ended up in that apartment and that she had been murdered there and that indeed the Soviet memorial had not been the scene of the crime? The investigators did want to follow that lead and so they had decided that Johann was not convincing as a suspect. Unfortunately, the lead about the apartment in Prinz Eugenstrasse led nowhere. I personally honestly doubt that there was anything to it in connection with Ilona's murder. She was the daughter of a high-ranking politician and I'd assume she would have been too high profile. Also, why would her body then be brought to the monument to be buried there? If she would have been murdered in an apartment, it would have been so easy to get her body in a car and drive to a secluded spot outside of the city, in the Viennese forest, for example. So, I don't know, I don't think this is true, I think it's just rumors. The verdict came on Friday, 27th of June, 1959. The Shamokin News Dispatch in Shamokin, Pennsylvania, uh, on 27th of June, 1959, a Saturday, printed this little info on their page 3. Quote, Defendant freed in Austrian murder case. Vienna. 
An Austrian court has acquitted Johann G. 30 in Austria's biggest post-war murder trial. The eight-man jury split 4-4 to four Friday on whether Johann G. was guilty or innocent of charges he assaulted and killed Viennese model Ilona Faber, 21, in a Vienna park in April of 1958. So Johann G. was acquitted, four out of the eight jurors thought he was innocent, and he was let go. I don't know what became of him, but I assume he probably is dead by now. The case went cold, and every few years the media would write about the horrifying murder of the young model Ilona Faber, and now and then new witnesses would come forward and new evidence was found. Apparently one of Ilona's shoes was found in the apartment of a man during a house search, but again, nothing came of it. Over time, with the advance of forensic techniques, new approaches were tried, for example in 2005 when Swiss experts tried to recreate a model of the teeth based on the bite marks. In 2002, a woman came forward who stated that her former husband had confessed to her that he had murdered Ilona Faber and that he had made that confession to her the night of the murder. According to her, he had a history of violence, he had strangled her on at least one occasion during a fight. Of course, the big question is, why did she wait so long to come forward? Well, she stated that she was scared of her husband, who she divorced in 1960, and that makes absolutely sense if he had a history of violence already. The confession had also caused anxiety and mental health issues, and in later years she according to her, did talk to a lawyer and to a mental health specialist and both had advised her to just let it go and not come forward. Her ex-husband had died in 1996 and she then decided to write a book about him and the confession and so when she came forward she was also looking for a publisher. And look, I'm not saying she's a liar, but it makes the whole thing look at least a little bit off. I have to say though that she gave all the info she had to the investigators and they checked the new lead and again nothing came of it. But the woman did publish the book in 2019 and it's titled Liebe, Mord und Tausend Tränen. So that translates to love, murder and a thousand tears. But I think it's only available in German so far. And that's it. That's the very sad story of Helene Ilona Faber. I wish I could give you more insight on what kind of person she was, what her hobbies were, what she loved. But like so often in these cases from the 1950s and 60s, especially here in Europe, there's just not too much information available. What I do know is she was a beautiful young woman who was just starting out in life and she was brutally murdered. And I'm 100% sure her family and friends loved her and that they missed her every day. Alright, my something good this week. First of all, I'm glad Annie will be back next week because I truly miss her. I usually chat with her most of the days, but I know she did spend some quality time with her family, so that makes me really happy for her. And I got a lot of things done during this three-week break. I managed to finally paint our front door. I had wanted to do that for well over a year. The color is now a beautiful mossy green, and yellow houses with green doors and green windows is very old-school Austrian. I think it's absolutely timeless. I love it. I also did a lot of yard work. When we bought the house, I planted a giant hibiscus and now it finally bloomed for the first time and that made me very happy. I also finally managed to edit a video for Patreon that I had recorded this summer when I went to an outdoor museum close to where we live. So all in all, I have to say, these were rather productive three weeks. 
All right. Now, please, if you enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes, please do a huge favor and leave us a rating and or review. It really helps us and it also motivates us and we do love to read all your comments. Don't forget to send us your story for our Halloween episode. Send it to freshhellpodcast at gmail.com. And please also let us know what name we should use for you or if you want to be anonymous or something like that. Also, tomorrow, 30th of September, is finally award night. The People's Choice Podcast Award will be held at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and 3 a.m. next day, <laughs> Central European Time. I hope I did get all of that right. Uh, we will do a watch party with our patrons. I have to see how I'm gonna set it up because, as I said, there's a lot going on in our house at the moment. And or maybe just a chat with everyone else. And you're gonna find the, the info on Patreon and on Facebook. If you can't watch with us, we will let you know if we want something in our next episode, so next Friday, and spooky fuckery season is upon us and we are very excited. For everything else, please go to freshhellpodcast.com. There you'll find links to our merch, to our Patreon, to our PO box, to our socials, and so on and so on. Please, tell your pets we said hi, all your pets, we love them all. Hug them, cuddle them, kiss them, take them to the vet, give them treats, you know the deal. Winter is coming in at least half of the world, so you know, it's Jam already started to sleep under the blanket again. Be kind to your pets, be kind to your fellow human being, you know. Give them the benefit of a doubt in a way, once, not more often. And the most important part, be kind to yourself. And I know it's hard. And if you're going through hell, keep going. Tschüss.